Amen. First Chronicles chapter 11, verse number 12 says next to him among the three mighty men was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ahohite. And he was with David at Pazdamim uh, when the Philistines were gathered there for battle. And there was a plot of ground full of barley. And the Bible says the men fled from the Philistines. Everybody say there was a field of barley and everyone fled. They all ran away. But Eliezer took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and killed the Philistines. And the Lord saved them by a great victory. So here was one man, the Bible says, standing in the middle of a field of barley. In Second uh, Samuel, the parallel passage, the Bible says he fought um, with the sword so that his hand claved to the sword. And he became one with the sword and could not let it go. And he won a great victory that day because he was willing to stand his ground. And so today I want, I want to preach to you from this subject. Somebody say, your victory is in your hands. It's in your hands. Sometimes we think it's somewhere else, but I want to tell you that you have what you need to win today. You have what you need to win right now. You have what God has given you everything that you need. We've just got to get a grip on the stuff that matters. Amen. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we pray your kingdom would come into this place. God, that your will would be done. That you would minister in this next 30 minutes, God. So that somebody would find a breakthrough in this house. Somebody would leave here with renewed and restored faith. In Jesus' name, we pray. We believe. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You can be seated. Let's one more time give Sister Michelle a a hand clap of thanks for leading us in worship today. What an incredible job. Somebody say, your victory is in your hands. A few years ago, Rowan, my nine-year-old, and I got into watching American Ninja Warrior together. Anybody ever seen that? Just holler at me for a second. All right. I'm not the only one. Something about it captured us. These acrobatic athletes would run, jump, climb, and swing through an obstacle course that few could finish. And Rowan and I would sit there and watch these guys who clearly spent all their spare time training. Nearly every time someone fell, Rowan would say, as just probably about a seven-year-old, I could have done that. (laughs) That looks easy, Dad. I think I could do it. And I would quickly scold him. You can't do that. These guys train all the time. And you know what I was thinking in my head? Because it really doesn't look that hard. I think I could do that too. You know, we like to tell ourselves we're able to do things that we're not. Amen. And so um, I, I was thinking, yeah, I could, I could do I mean, I know the years have passed. And I, I know I look 25, but I'm, I'm 36, soon to be 37. And um, I think that's accurate. It's close enough. Um, and time has a way of passing you by. But um, I, I thought, yeah, I could probably do that while I'm telling him he, he could not. But a few weeks ago, we, we took the kids to Altitude Trampoline Park. And lo and behold, they had installed a mini Ninja Warrior obstacle course um, for your family pleasure. And so what did I do? This was my opportunity. This was my chance to prove myself. I saw it. This is my moment. My day has finally arrived. And with... Ease, I moved over the hoppy bubble things that come first. 
Rowan, uh, Ryland, my three-year-old, right ahead of me. He could do it too. Then I dashed across the swinging place like a hero behind Ryland. Then we got into the deeper waters and with grace I swung around the hanging foam nets and I made it. And, uh, and then I climbed across the spider web rope thing as if they weren't even there. And I'm feeling my oats. Seven-year-olds are standing aside looking in wonder at this great beast who's come to the obstacle course. Till finally, I came to what appeared to be some trapezius monkey bars. I don't know the technical term for them. That's what I'm going to call them today. They look like a trapeze, but you'd have to grab one and swing to the other. And they weren't quite as close. Now, there was an easy one for the little guys, but I'm not a little guy. I could do an American Ninja Warrior. So I took the hard way across. And it was all easy until... I had to use my grip to support the weight and the years that I've spent eating pizza. (laughs) My forearm caught on fire in a mere moment of time. My pride was demolished. For the last eight months, I've been going to a gym, a great gym, training four to five times a week. I can do pull-ups. Thanks for noticing, y'all. I can I can do anything that they throw. I can throw a kettlebell around like you wouldn't believe. But one thing I haven't spent a minute working on is my grip strength. And it was clear to every seven-year-old watching as I fell in slow motion headfirst into the foam pit of shame and despair. I lost my grip. And the next thing I knew, I woke up covered in sweaty foam that others had fallen on before. And listen, listen, if we're not careful, we can lose our grip in life on what is holding us up and what is linked to our future. I'm just going to turn the corner of making fun of myself to just preach for a few minutes to you this morning that we have to be careful because sometimes our grip isn't what we think it is. Life has a way of distracting us and what seems so close can suddenly drift so far and slip out of our hands. Listen to me. Satan is invested in making sure that Christians don't hold on to the things that matter the most. He's a master of distraction. He can fill your life with so many projects and commitments that you're left with no time for worship. He can fill your life with so much turmoil that you can't find your joy. He can fill your thoughts with so many worries and cares that you can't find your faith. Is anybody hearing me in the house this morning? The enemy is invested in seeing you lose your grip. And here's where we wind up. We wind up saying stuff like, well, I used to have it, but it's gone now. Kind of like my athleticism. We played a little wiffle ball yesterday. And I found myself under my breath saying, I used to have it, but it's gone now. (laughs) I used to have it, but it's gone now. I almost tore an ACL just trying to run off of a base. I mean, come on. I used to have it, but, but now it's gone. And sometimes we look up in life and we wonder, where did my joy go? I used to have joy. I used to have praise, but I've lost my praise. I used to have hope, but I lost my hope. What happened to my walk? Somewhere along the way, I used to have it, but it's gone now. Somewhere along the way, I lost my focus, as anybody can relate. I lost some things. 
And they slip out of our hands if we're not careful. Listen, one, one of the greatest lion tamers and animal trainers of all time was Clyde Beatty. He was a, a big game hunter who became famous as a lion tamer beginning in the 1930s and often appeared in films and on television over the next 30 years. Standing only five and a half feet tall, he had the courage and mastery to go into a cage of 40, 4-0, snarling lions and tigers with only a whip, a pistol, and a chair. And listen, the whip and the pistol were used to get the animal's attention. Not to hit the animal, but to get the animal's attention. Not to shoot the animal, but just to get its attention. But many people wonder what good would a chair do against a wild animal as big and strong as a lion. How many of you ever seen a lion tamer holding a chair in a whip? As if that chair is going to stop a three to four hundred pound animal that is designed to rip your head off from jumping over it and taking you out in a moment. You see, it turns out that the chair is the most important of the three tools of a lion tamer. Because the tamer holds the chair by the back and thrusts the legs toward the face of the animal. And the lion tries to focus on all four legs at once. And in the attempt to focus on all four, a kind of paralysis overwhelms the animal. And it becomes weak and tame because the lion tamer has successfully divided its attention. And before he knows it, the lion has lost his prowess. The lion has lost his power. The lion has lost his victory and his advantage. And he tamely complies with the wishes of the lion tamer. Hear me somebody today in the Holy Ghost that Satan and this world will distract us. It will do everything possible to cause us to lose our focus. And in the process we can lose our way. We can lose our joy. We can lose our victory. We can lose our worship. Is anybody awake in the house this morning? we got to recognize that we have an enemy that is on a mission to distract us from the things that really matter. You see, there are some things that we can't afford to lose. Some of us have cheap sunglasses. And those are the ones you can't lose, but you can afford to lose them. I mean, it's like Jeff Foxworthy said, you could drop them in the ocean and then later catch a fish and the fish will be wearing those cheap sunglasses. Expensive ones, No. You're going to lose those. But there are some things we can't afford to lose. We could, a few of us could afford to lose a few pounds. <laughs> we could afford to, to give a few hours. You know, we can afford to lose some things. But hear me today. I've come to preach that there's also some things that we can't afford to lose. There are some things that our future depends on that we've got to get a iron grip on. There is some things that we cannot afford to lose because we are fighting for our future. Is anybody hearing me in the house today? Eliezer lived in a time when people were taking losses. They were afraid of the enemy and were abandoning the harvest they had worked and believed for. They had sown in faith that they would see a harvest. But now the Bible says the men of Israel, because the Philistines have encamped, they're running away in fear. Not the best look for the children of God. Not the best representation of God's people. The Philistines hadn't even started the battle yet. 
All they had done was encamped at Lehi. And the Bible says they take off running in fear. He was with David at Pazdamim when the Philistines were gathered for battle. And there's a plot full of barley and the men fled from the face of the Philistines. They had set up camp and gathered for the battle. And even though it hadn't started yet, people were already running. They were already intimidated. They had already come to the conclusion that they would never get to enjoy the fruit of their labor. They would never get to see the harvest of that barley field. They thought that it was an acceptable loss. It's just... A field not worth losing our lives for. It seemed like they were outnumbered. And so they slipped away from the scene and chalked up a loss before the fight had even began. For the majority, the field did not seem worth fighting for. Just a field of barley to the men of Israel. But it meant something more to Eliezer. Eliezer understood that his future was linked to what he was fighting for. That his tomorrows might very well depend on the harvest that was going to come out of that field. He understood that one day the soldiers may be weary and hungry. And that may all we have may be this one field left and so it's worth fighting for because my future depends on it it may not seem like a big deal but sometimes you have to fight for the small stuff does anybody hear me today the small stuff matters the bible tells us it's the little foxes that spoil the vine it's the little foxes. We, sometimes we can ignore the little battles and think, well, I can afford to lose that one. But honey, I've come to preach to you. You can't afford to lose the little battles. It's just one church service. Let me tell you something. That's how it begins. It's a little fox that spoils the vine. It, it's worth it to fight for the small stuff. It may not seem like a big deal to others. But it matters to me. That my kids grow up being faithful to the house of God. I know it's Memorial Day weekend. But here I am preaching on priorities. <laughs> I don't have a problem with anybody going and having fun. On Memorial Day weekend, but I'm preaching for the bigger picture here. I hope that a parent will hear me today. It may not seem like a big deal to somebody else, but it matters to me that my kids grow up being faithful to the house of God. It matters to me that they learn those Bible stories in kid life. It matters to me that they learn how to lift up their hands in worship. It matters to me. It's just a little battle, but it's worth fighting for. It may not seem like a big deal to everyone else, but it's important to me to tithe on the increase. Well, God will forgive you. God will let you buy. Well, you can debate that all you want, but listen to me. It's an important matter. It may not seem like a big deal to you, but it's important to me that I show the Lordship of Christ in my life and give in my tithe and offering. It's worth fighting for. Somebody say it's worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for. It may not seem like a big deal to everyone else, but it's important to me to serve on a team in my church. They say, what are you doing that for? What's the big deal? You're just opening doors. Listen, David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than stand in the gates of the city. Understand this, that it matters to me that I'm a part of what God is doing. It may not be the biggest part, but it's worth fighting for. It may not be the center of attention, but it's worth fighting for. Why? Because my future is connected to what I'm fighting for. My 
future is connected to the small stuff. Overlooked by others, but not by me. That little field of barley will feed me in the future. That little field of barley will sustain me in the future. Others may be running away. They may just show up on Sunday and praise Jesus. But there's some little stuff that matters to me. My goodness. Come on, Christian. Rise up and stand your ground. Everyone else may have abandoned it. Everyone else may have walked away. But it's worth fighting for because your future is connected to the field. If you were to ask Eliezer, he probably would have said, I'm willing to fight for it because I'm going to need it one day. I'm going to need this one day. I'm not just living for the moment. I'm not just living for my comfort. I'm not just living for the present. But I'm living for my future. And there will come a time when I'm going to need my worship. It may not seem like a big deal to somebody else, but I'm going to be a worshiper. Because there's going to come a day when my worship will bring me through. There's going to come a time when my giving is going to come back to me pressed down, shaken together, and running over. One day, my kids are going to face the world with faith they found in kid life. It matters to me because my future depends on it. I'm not just giving. I'm investing. I'm not just fighting this battle because it's another battle to fight. I'm fighting it because my future depends on it. Mom and Dad, don't you give in for a minute. Don't you let ball take the place of church for your kids. Don't you let everything else dominate your life. You take a stand in that little field. You take a stand for your family. Just stand up and say, no. Ball isn't going to save my kids. Hobbies aren't going to save my kids. They need to know what it is to be a church member. Come on, somebody. I just, I just came after y'all on Memorial Day weekend. Does anybody hear what I'm saying? Because if we're not careful, we'll let stuff slip out of our hands. That will determine our victory in our future. And what we find ourselves doing is trading the trivial for the treasure. We find ourselves trading in stuff that matters down the road. Because it doesn't seem like a big deal in the moment. And I love the spirit of Eliezer. Everybody else was running the opposite way. It wasn't the popular decision to make. But he understood that if I'm going to make it then, I better take my stand now. If I'm going to make it in the end, I better take my stand right here. Right now, enemy, you can go no further. You can have no more of my commitment. You can have no more of my time. Hallelujah. Somebody say my future is connected to what I'm fighting for. My future is depending on it. Eliezer rose and fought in a field that others had abandoned because he knew his people would be hungry somewhere down the line. And this harvest of barley might be the difference between his victory and his defeat. And I'm preaching to someone that what you're fighting to hold on to may not seem like much to others. But your tomorrow is depending on it. Hear me today. Too many Christians are relinquishing stuff that God intended for you to have. 
abandoning harvest that God wanted you to enjoy. And we don't lose it all in a moment. We lose it when we let it slip away one little battle at a time. I'm preaching today so that someone will make a decision that the enemy has already taken enough out of my life. So today I'm going to mark my spot. I'm going to stand my ground and I'm going to take up the sword because my future matters. It matters to me. Somebody say, it matters to me. It matters. Your victory is determined by your grip. Second Samuel 23.10 says, He rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clung down to the sword. His hand was tired, hear me, but he held on to the sword. He refused to let it slip out of his hands. This was his future. This was his family. This was his freedom. And I've come to preach to someone who may be weary today, whose hands may be tired today, whose spirit may be sorrowful today, that Eliezer, he held on because his victory was in his hands. Eliezer's forearm was on fire, but he refused to let go of the sword. He refused to lay it down and let the field go. It mattered too much, so he just kept holding on. Let me tell you this, victory is often a product of mere grit. It's not talent. It's not how intellectual or knowledgeable you are about Scripture. Sometimes it just comes down to good old-fashioned grit. Eliezer was tired and his hand hurt and he just kept holding on to that sword. Sometimes you're going to make it simply because you held on. It wasn't pleasurable. It wasn't all mountaintops. It wasn't all rainbows and miracles. But there are some times where all you can do is just hold on a little while longer. Just hold on a little bit stronger. Just keep your hand on the sword and keep swinging it. Because it may not feel like you're making a difference. But honey, you're making a difference for your future when you're holding on. Did he want to quit? Yes. Yes, he wanted to quit. Did he feel like he was going to fail? Yes. Was he hurting? Yes. But he kept hanging on because those who turn back in the day of battle never win. Quitters never win. And winners never quit. And sometimes the only thing we can do is just keep holding on to the weapon that we have. That's all we can do. Just hold on to the weapon that we've got. You may not be the sharpest sword. It may not be the best weapon. It may not be the finest prayer life. But if prayer has brought you this far, I'm preaching to somebody, just keep holding on to your prayer life. If worship has carried you this far, just keep on worshiping whether you feel like it or not. Israel hung their hearts on the willows because they didn't feel like singing in the land. No, that's when you need your worship the most. That's when you need it the deepest. Is when you're in a place that you don't understand. Because worship matters to God. And worship invites God into the middle of my mess. And in the heat of the battle, Eliezer claved to the sword. The Bible says his hand claved to the sword. He became one with the sword. That word means to be united with or to be stuck together. Literally, Eliezer held on so tight that there was no giving up, no turning back. He refused to let victory slip through his fingers, so he endured pain for the joy that was set before him. Why 
Why would you hold on, Eliezer? Because I knew that this field mattered and this battle would be won. Why did you hold on, Eliezer? Because it wasn't about how I feel right now. It's about what I'm going to need in my future. Eliezer just clave to the sword. It hurts in the here and now. But the scripture says these light afflictions that we endure here are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed. He's willing to put up with the pain because he had a vision of victory. Why did you go to the cross, Jesus? Why would you be willing to be despised and rejected and nailed to a cross? The Bible said he despised the shame. But because there was joy set before him, he endured the cross, though he despised the shame. Hear me today. Sometimes you've just got to hold on, not for what's happening right now, but because you have faith for what's going to happen then. I love the faith of Jacob, who met God at the crossing of Jabbok. And when he grabbed hold, he said, I will not let go until you bless me. I will not let go until you bless me. Is he worthy? No. Jacob was a liar, a thief, and a supplanter. Was he stronger than the angel? No. The angel just touched him and put his hip out of joint. Did he have all the talent and the ability he needed to overcome? No. All he needed to do to prevail with God is just keep holding on until the blessing came. Just keep holding on until something broke. Just keep holding on, Eliezer, until the enemy stands no more. Just keep swinging the sword until the fight has been won. Your victory is in your hands. Don't you lay down that sword. Don't you back up for a minute. The enemy is going to try to distract you and get your attention on other stuff. But don't back up even for a second. Because Eliezer understood that if I lay down the sword, I'm laying down everything. If I lay down the sword, I'm laying down my victory. If I lay down the sword, I'm laying down my kid's future. And so I've got to keep hanging on. I've got to keep pressing on. I've got to keep holding on. So many people lose things they can't afford because they lay down the sword when they get weary. They get tired of the struggle. But Eliezer's victory came by holding on when everything else was telling him to let go. And I'm talking to somebody today who's tired in a fight, who has been weary in a fight, that in your endurance... In your patience, the Bible says, possess ye your soul. In other words, you've just got to go through some stuff. And you've just got to hang on through some stuff. Jesus, in talking about the end times in Luke chapter 21, tells his disciples, nations will rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. And there will be great earthquakes and, and people will flee to the mountains. And, and all of these things are going to happen. But he says that he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. Another version put it this way By your endurance You will gain your life Why? Why am I hanging on? Why am I holding on? Why am I making a stand When other people aren't making the same stand? Because my future My victory is in my hands Somebody say it's in my hands I've come to tell you Don't let go Don't let go Don't let go Come on, mom and dad, don't let go. 
Don't, quite, don't, don't, don't stop fighting for the things that matter in your family. Don't stop fighting for family prayer. Don't stop fighting for your kids to come to church. Come on, youth parents. Is there any elevate parents in the house? I'm just going to be real transparent. Our numbers have been down lately. Parents, don't you dare back off of bringing your kids to you. Their future depends on it. Somebody say, my future is worth fighting for. Somebody's got to get it down deep in their soul today. That victory is in my hands. Nobody else is going to live for God for me. Nobody else is going to raise my kids in the fear of God for me. Nobody else is going to pray over those babies like I'm going to pray over those babies. Nobody else is going to lead them in the ways of righteousness like I'm going to lead them. And so my victory is in my hands. It's in my hands. I'm coming quickly to a close. I want to tell you this. The Bible says Eliezer stood and fought in that field when everybody else was running the other direction. But the Bible says that when Eliezer stood and fought, that the Lord saved them by a great victory. The place was called Pas Damim, which means the palm of bloodshed. The palm of bloodshed. I thought about that. And I thought, well, what a strange name for a place. Until I began to study, and I found out that Pazdamim is the same place scripturally as Lehi. And Lehi is where Samson took the jawbone of a donkey in his hands and slew 1,000 Philistines by what he took in his hands, by what he got a grip on that day. He didn't even have a sword, but he had a jawbone of a donkey. And the Bible says he picked it up and threw him on the same plot of ground that Eliezer fought on. That Samson had already won a great victory over the same enemy on that same ground. Here's what I've come to tell you. You're not fighting alone. I want our musicians, our praise team to get ready to come. As we're going to end in just a few minutes. But listen, listen, you're not fighting alone. This wasn't the first time that men had fought here. Eliezer stood on the same ground as Samson. Both men took a stand against the enemy on the same plot of ground. Two different men, two different eras, two different times, two different weapons. But they had the same enemy. Both fought the Philistines and they had the same God. Hear me that your fight is not a new one. Your battle is not unheard of. The stuff that you're dealing with, you're not the only one that's ever dealt with it. We've all got the same enemy, and we've got to fight for the same ground. But we also have the same God. You've got a God who is with you in the fight. You aren't the only one who's faced this battle, but hear me today. You've got to make a personal decision to fight for your future. When you stand your ground, God stands with you. Samson slew a thousand, and Eliezer fought till his hand claved to the sword. Stand with me as I come to a close. They put everything they had on the line. 
in the same place. And listen to this. When they did, God stepped into the fight. There is no record of a theophany or a visible manifestation of God's Spirit. But unseen to the observer, there were two fighting in the field that day. Eliezer and God. Hear me, parents. Hear me, young marrieds. Hear me, grandparents. Hear me, fathers and husbands, that your fight is not a fight you'll fight alone. If you'll determine in your heart today that I'm going to make a stand for some stuff that matters, hear me in the Holy Ghost, that God will stand with you. That God will... Paul said at my first admonition... No man came. And at my second, no man stood with me. But God was with me. Even when it feels like you're alone, you're not alone. Even when it feels like you're struggling and you're the lead captain on the struggle bus, hear me today. God is with you. If you'll stand for God, God will stand with you. If you'll make a a, a decision and draw a line in the sand in your family, in your home, for your future, let me tell you, it won't always be easy. The enemy will keep coming, but if you'll just hold on and keep standing strong, God steps into the fight and you can come out on top. You've got a future that depends on what you do with what you have in your hands right now. Your victory is in your hands no matter how hopeless it seems how distant the chances are how big the enemy is how deep the history it may not seem like it but you are standing in a place where others have fought and won with God and you can win too I want to prophesy to somebody today your kids can be saved Your marriage can be restored. You can reach your calling. You can overcome your addiction. You just got to meet God in the field today. You've got to decide that the future is worth fighting for and meet God in the field. I want to close with a story that a friend told me yesterday. I told him what I was preaching. And he shared a story of a great, great preacher, great man of God. We just heard him at at the uh, men's conference, Pastor Danny Whitley was a young man, teenage, just came out of Bible college, actually, and was living in Florida on staff at a church. And he was a good-looking guy, and there were some agents after him to model, and there were women chasing after him. I know none of the women here do any of that stuff. But he was in a place where on a weekend like this, everybody else was gone and everybody had traveled away And he was left with himself and he hadn't been used, hadn't preached in a while and was just discouraged. And he tells the story that he went into his one bedroom apartment that night and he wondered, will God ever come through for me? Is it even worth fighting for? I have no invitations. I have no opportunities. I have nowhere to go. And he said he saw the Bible sitting on the coffee table when he walked through the doors. He walked over and grabbed the Bible and laid it across his chest and laid in the floor for hours. And he preaches a message about it where he drew a line in the sand and said, I'm going to live for God.
I don't care what the world has to offer me. I don't care what the devil's sowing at me. I don't care whether there's an opportunity right now or not. I don't care whether it feels good right now or not. My hand is going to cleave to the sword. And understand this, that where he's at today, ministering to hundreds of thousands across the world, is a direct result of something happened in a field where nobody else was standing. In a field where nobody else was fighting. He had to get it for himself. And hear me, mom and dad. Hear me, family. That your future doesn't depend on me. I can't preach pretty enough for you to make it. We can't pray hard enough for you to make it. We can't make a way for you. But understand this. If you'll get your hand on the sword and say, you know what? I have decided to follow Jesus. It won't be easy. It won't come naturally. There will be moments where the enemy is in my face. And all I can do is hang on. But if you will stand up, God will stand with you. I wonder, I wonder on a Memorial Day weekend if there's somebody that will just raise their hands and say, I want to make a commitment today for my tomorrow. I want to make a commitment right here and right now that the stuff the enemy has been trying to pull out of my hands, that I'm just going to cleave to it. I'm just going to hang on to my faith. Even if the doctors don't agree, I'm just going to hang on to my hope. Even if everybody else says it's hopeless, I'm just going to hang on to my future. I'm just going to keep praying for my kids. I'm just going to keep believing. I'm just going to keep worshiping no matter what it feels like. I wonder, can we lift our hands and pray across this room? As they sing, would you come to this altar? If you want to make a commitment today to say, God, I'm standing my ground. Come on, dads. You ought to grab your family and lead them up here. Come on, moms. You ought to grab your kids and lead them up here and say, whatever the world throws at us, we're taking a stand today. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray over this building that your anointing would come into this house. That your spirit would come into this house. That somebody would draw a line in the sand and say, I'm meeting you in the field today. My victory is in my hands. In Jesus' name. Do it.